This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast with Jimmy Smith. On today's show, we're talking Tyron Woodley versus Gilbert Burns this weekend and what it means for Woodley. Jones versus Nganu not happening, but could in the future. Plus, the fighter paid debate. And lastly, Jessica Evil Eye joins us to discuss her upcoming fight with Cynthia Calvillo. A lot of fights coming up. We had a, a week of three in a row, and that was a little bit of a dip. Now, we have one coming up this weekend, and it is. The main event is Tyron Woodley versus Gilbert Burns. Look, my esteemed colleague, RJ Clifford, said this about this fight. And I, I partially agree, but I, I've, I don't want to say I've changed my mind a little bit, but he said, this is not a fight you give somebody you like, right? This is not a fight you give somebody you're pushing. I'll explain why. Tyron Woodley. Former champion, of course, hasn't fought since an uninspired performance against Kamaru Usman. He is the number one contender, taking on the number six guy, according to UFC rankings, in Gilbert Burns, who's on a five-fight win streak, who is a jiu-jitsu world champion, who just knocked out Damian Maya. He's confident. He's hungry. He's motivated. It's a tough fight. And Gilbert Burns is not a gigantic name. He's not some someone casual fans know a whole lot. He's not somebody that's going to sell a pay-per-view. This is not a pay-per-view. It's a fight night main event. It's a lose-lose for Tyron Woodley, right? If he wins, it basically keeps him where he is. If he loses, he falls very far down the ladder. So R.J. Clifford's point, and I usually, well, sometimes I agree with R.J., not all the time, but this is a fight you give somebody, okay, you want to you go toe-to-toe with us? You want to kind of be a pain in the ass? Here, you get Gilbert Burns. Here's how I see this. First off, I, I'll talk about in a little bit the reason for the chip on Tyron Woodley's shoulder. And I don't think it is unjustified. But number six is Gilbert Burns, right? That, that's a tough one. But number five is Stephen Thompson, a guy he has already fought twice, beaten once. Leon Edwards, I'm a little surprised this one didn't happen. This seemed kind of tailor-made. It'd be a good one. Jorge Masvidal, he's not going to get that fight. I don't think that's a good one for Masvidal. You want a, a striker for Masvidal. Colby Covington, that's in many ways kind of the one that got away. I think this one was tailor-made. That would have been a big fight. Number seven is Damian Maya, a guy who's coming off a knockout and a guy Tyron Woodley has already beaten. Michael Chiesa, I will throw into that same category of dangerous and not a lot of name value. Number nine, Rafael Dos Santos, once again, dangerous and has struggled in his last couple fights. That's a big step down if he loses. Nate Diaz, who in my opinion has no business being number 10 at welterweight. It's not an insult to Nate Diaz. He's just not a natural welterweight. So when you look at the top 10, there aren't a ton of options. Colby Covington, Leon Edwards, the only ones that you could argue <sighs> made more sense and were better fights for Tyron Woodley. Those are the only ones out there. The deal is mixed martial arts, the UFC, uh, period, just isn't kind to former champions, right? Your yesterday's news, who's the next champion, who's the next name, who's the next big deal, that's what everybody's looking at. There's no reason, generally speaking, right? generally speaking, for the UFC or any promotion to give you much of a push. We've already seen you hold the belt. 
Get out of the way. Get ready for the next one. With that in mind, when you look at it, there aren't any easy outs. Gilbert Burns is not an easy out. And I'm not saying Tyron Woodley can't win. That, that's not the debate I'm having. I think he can win. It's what does a loss do for you? What does a win do for you? That's what we're talking about. A win basically keeps him where he is, depending on how he wins. A loss takes him really far down the ladder, especially considering how he loses. Okay? So that's the way to look at it right now. I wouldn't say they're going out of their way, out of their way to screw Tyron Woodley. It's just... God, find an easy out in that top 10. You won't find one. You won't. 170, a traditionally very, very deep weight class. And the UFC, I wouldn't say it throws former champions to the wolves. It's just, you got it. It's hard to keep that spot, right? There's an experiment. It was an old, uh, like, horror comic book. If you're as old as me, you'll remember this. Uh, EC Comics reprinted all the like famous horror comic books of the, of the, the fifties. All right. My dad read the originals. They reprinted them in the nineties. And I remember there was this story about this guy who did this experiment with rats where he put them in like a, a big pool. And there was a one little Island that a rat could stay on. And if you put multiple rats, they'll fight until one gets on the top and they have to constantly keep doing it. And there's only one rat that can stand there and how hard they'll fight just to stay alive. And then the scientist, of course, he crash lands and he ends up in that same situation in the middle of the ocean with another guy. So that's the point of this horror comic book that I remember. That's what it's like being a champion in the UFC. That one little island will hold you, but everybody's trying to pull you off. And once you're off, you're swimming with the sharks. There's no safety. There's not a lot of safety being champion, but there's way less safety trying to get to be champion because it's just as hard, right? You're taking on contenders. You're taking on the next best guy. Two, three, four, five in the world. Six is uh, six is almost a softball. Now, Gilbert Burns happens to be six, and the dude's an absolute murderer, but sixth is as low as you're realistically going to get, and that's a, a killer fight. So when you break down and look at the options, there aren't many easy outs for Tyron Woodley. And all losses knock him off that perch that he needs to stay on. So what's harder, sitting on an island and people trying to knock you off it, or treading water off of an island trying to get there? Treading water all day. All day. Because even a, a, a win, unless it's a dramatic win, if he blows Gilbert Burns out of the water and just smashes him, okay, that might elevate him. And, oh, my God, he's back. That's contender status immediately. He's already in contender status, but that might launch him above everybody else. That's possible. Um, the problem is with, with Burns' name value right now, it's uh, if he blows Burns out of the water, a lot of people go, oh, well, that's what I expect from a former champion. And it's a guy who's, you know, who's a puffed up lightweight. Remember that. Spent a lot of his career at 155, just come up to 170. A lot of people are kind of expecting Tyron Woodley to blow this guy away. So uh, the crush of expectations means a lot in this case. So, that's how I feel. It's, it's, it's a tough matchup. Uh, I won't go as, as so far as to say it's an intentionally bad matchup to, to screw Tom Woodley. I think matchup-wise, he has a few aces in the hole, particularly his wrestling and his power. He's a much harder hitter than Gilbert Burns, and he's a much better wrestler. But it, it's, it's, it's a reasonable match if you, if you want to stay near the top. That's number one. I have to discuss the chip on... Tyron Woodley's shoulder and how I don't believe it is unjustified. 
This is a guy who blew away Robbie Lawler, knocked him out to win the title at 170. And fans just really didn't get behind him in a way that I thought that performance justified. Then, against Wonderboy Thompson, he has a phenomenal fight that ends up being a draw. Extremely entertaining. It was fight of the night. Great stuff. And once again, I I don't think he got a lot of respect because it ended up being a draw. Then what happens? He fights Wonderboy again, and then he fights Damian Maia. He found out, and and I will put Damian Maia and Wonderboy Thompson in the same category, which is to beat them, you fight ugly. Ugly. That's the, he went kind of toe-to-toe with Wonderboy Thompson, almost lost the first fight. It was a draw. It was razor thin, okay? So what does he do? He fights a conservative fight in order to beat Wonderboy Thompson. He figured out, in order to beat this guy, I got to fight ugly. And he won an ugly, boring fight that he got ridiculed for. Then he fights Damian Maya, Another guy against whom, to be successful, to win, to get out of there with your arm raised, you have to fight an extremely conservative fight. If he takes you down and gets on top of you, kiss your neck goodbye. Okay? You're going down. Phenomenal jiu-jitsu. One of the best in the world. One of the best, certainly, to make the transition to MMA. So what do you do? You fight ugly. The only people to beat Damian Maya and look great at 170 pounds, meaning, you know, they, they looked fantastic. Colby Covington did it. All right, got to give credit where it's due. And Gilbert Burns did it. I think Gilbert Burns caught Damian Maya. Damian Maya just has too many fights, okay? In his prime, I was there when Damian Maya fought... Uh, when Damian Maia fought Kamaru Usman. It wasn't any more entertaining of a fight for Kamaru Usman. It was takedown defense, box from the outside. Takedown take down defense, box from the outside. That's what the guy did. Tyron Woodley did the same thing earlier against one could argue a sharper Damian Maia. And he gets no credit for it. And he gets ridiculed. And he's the champ. So... The chip on his shoulder, I mean, he always feels he wasn't respected. I get where that comes from, guys. I totally get it. This was a champ in a storied division who got there with an amazing knockout against a great striker, and it's like he couldn't do anything right after that. I don't think that's fair. So part of the attitude of Tyron Woodley is, is, in my opinion, justified. Now, the questions leading into this fight are multiple. The first one is, he did not look sharp against Kamaru Usman. End of story. He looked like that day, if you do any jiu-jitsu, you do any martial arts, you do cardio kickboxing, you work out at the gym, I don't care. There are those days when you're just not feeling it. When you're just like, this is not working, I don't want to be here, ah, whatever. And you're going through the motions, Okay. In jiu-jitsu, you're just trying not to get tapped or you're laying on a bunch of blue belts and, you know, you're trying not to lose a lot of energy, that kind of thing. At the gym, it's like, I'm going to work out today, but let's cut it a little short, that kind of thing. That's how it looked for Tyron Woodley against Kamaru Usman. So he had a rap album coming out, I believe, that the following Monday. Okay? So this is a guy who had a lot of distractions. He's starting to do some acting. He's doing his music career and all these things. Has a lot of distractions outside of mixed martial arts. I don't know how seriously he took Kamaru Usman, but he did not look good at all the entire fight. So how does he bounce back? That's a big question. Big question on my mind, really, is is, is what kind of Tyron Woodley does Gilbert Burns fight? Because all of these issues with the UFC he's had, back and forth with a bunch of fights, and, and you know, it's it's it takes a toll on you. It really does. Can you put everything into training when you're worried about 
your next payday and, uh, you know, am I getting the respect I deserve? And I think all that eats away at you a little bit. It can be motivation. It can also eat away at you a little bit. So there's that. Um, that's a big one to me. The second one is, did he get these distractions out of the way? The things that probably cost him a few training sessions against Kamaru Usman are those distractions out of the way. Did he go, hey, look, I got to refocus. I want to be champ again. Uh, I got to really go full-time in you know during this pandemic, which changes everything. Uh, did he get those things out of, out of the way? Is he still trying to be a rapper? Is he still trying to be an actor? Are those taking up a lot of his time? Those are issues you have to think about. I think we have fewer question marks about Gilbert Burns. He looks sharp against Damian Maya. I've always loved his jiu-jitsu. I've always been a huge fan of his jiu-jitsu. It's clean. It's smooth. Great pressure. Okay. His hands have been looking sharp. How does he handle a big welterweight who's a superior wrestler who has more power? Those are my questions for Burns. Fewer of them. They are tactical questions. For Tyron Woodley, the questions to me are more profound. They are questions about his continued commitment. They are questions about his, his focus right now. Those are harder to answer. Tactical questions, questions about skill, can be cleaned up at the gym. Okay? Questions about, are you still rapping all the time? and Are you putting in the time you need to put? That's a harder question. But that makes it an intriguing fight. This week on World of Basketball, the head coach of the Spanish national team and Toronto Raptors assistant Sergio Scariolo joined the show and he spoke about the Raps signing of Marc Gasol midway through last season. I really felt that he could be a great addition to our team. But at the same time, I had to try to be objective because my bosses were, were asking me, you know, Masai and Nick, hey, what's your opinion? What do you think? What do you think is the pros, the cons? And that's for my conclusion was always this guy is going to help because it's going to bring more of a winning culture, more of an unselfish attitude, more playmaking. New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on the Sirius XM app and Pandora. Who do we have on the line? Oh, my God, I miss him. Marco from Hueco. Que pasa, amigo? Marco from Hueco. Que pasa, Jimmy? <laughs> What's up, homie? How you doing, bro? Well, we're going to talk about FISA since we haven't talked about it for so long. And, you know, you're talking yeah. about Tyron Goodman. Age 38, former champion. And uh, the record for champions that have lost the belt and regained it, there's only six of them. Mike Hughes, Randy Couture, George Pierre, TJ Dillashaw, Kane Velasquez, and Steve Miyoshe. All of them way younger than than what Goodley is when they get the bell back. I mean, except for Randy. Don't let his chances, man. I mean, love me some Tyron Goodley. I got some beef with him on Fine Nation back on the day. I, I came to his side. I thought he was going to be Kevin Usman. But he hasn't fought in 14 months, and Gilbert Bram is hot. Ah, I feel for my, my boy Tyron, man, but he's going to get beat up this weekend. And uh, let, let, the, let the young in and let, let the old go to pasture, man. Peace out. Nice to hear your voice, bro. I, 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 I got, wait, Marco, can you hear me? Go ahead. I'm right here. I'm right, right. here. I, 
Yeah, I, I got a quick question for you. Do you think it's an underperforming Tyron Woodley or that it's a sharp Gilbert Burns? Because my question is, what kind of Tyron Woodley are we going to see? Do you think we see a sharp, focused Tyron Woodley and it's just not good enough? What do you think, man? I see uh, the lack of uh, activity of Tyron Woodley and father time are going to be the two factors that are going to intervene on this. Even if Tyron, uh, a prime time of Woodley should be Gilbert Burns. But that prime tango, Tano Goodley was four or five years ago. The Tano yeah. Goodley that we got now, don't see him. He still gets the punches up because he, he can hit like a mad truck. But after what I saw yeah. with Camaro Usman, I don't think he's going to be able to fill those gaps. And Gilbert Ben is way too hot, man, for me. So uh, it's going to be an interesting performance, but since I still think Gilbert Ben gets it. Appreciate you, my brother, every single time, man. Thanks for calling, Marco. Thank you, Isabel. You know it, man. Interesting point. Interesting point. This ain't no spring chicken coming back, trying to get his title back. And the names, well, number one, first thing I want to say is, everybody talked about Randy Couture and how old he was. Randy Couture didn't start fighting until he was 33 years old. Now, standout wrestler, wrestled Oklahoma State, losing the finals to Mark Kerr of Syracuse, who no longer has a team. But anyway, that's who he fought in the finals. So he didn't start until late. So whenever he talks about Randy Couture, it's kind of this this icon of like being able to fight late he didn't start late he didn't start until he was older right he didn't start until he was 33 so he didn't have those however many 15 years of wear and tear that most mixed martial artists have he had wrestling wear and tear it's a little different so that's always my caveat he's right right he's right anyway so john jones okay uh john jones francis Ngannou on everyone's lips everybody's talking about it a lot of people want to hear it but uh, here's the deal. I have some very strong opinions about this fight and John Jones moving up to heavyweight, period. But we have a little clip. Abe Kawa on Jones versus Nganu. I want to hear it right now. Go ahead, Kelly. Whenever the fans really want something to happen, it happens. So that being said, it can always happen. That's never, never uh, uh, a straight no. It's not. It can absolutely happen. The... The situation was just, you know, like I'm. I don't want to get, you know, too much into it. It was, it was pretty much John wants to fight Francis. He's looking, you know, to get compensated for it. And they were like, you know, maybe not right now. It's not going to happen. And he just was took it back. I, you know, he's just like, I can't believe it's not happening. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much the way it went down. There's nothing more to it. So in terms of negotiations and whatnot, it was just a flat no. Oh God, where do I start? We will have a much larger discussion. Later on in the show, about the position the UFC is in right now vis-a-vis fighters pay. What they want to offer fighters. uh, What fighters can do if they don't get the money they want. Uh, The short version is UFC can do whatever they want right now, pretty much. But a pretty much a flat no for Jones and Ghanu. Let me shelf that for one second and say, I was actually really surprised John Jones called out Francis Ngannou. Not that it's a fight that I don't want to see, because I do, or that it wouldn't be interesting, or fans wouldn't watch it. All those are yeses. I'm surprised the sitting champion at 205 pounds called out the most dangerous, feared striker in the heavyweight division, not the champ. This is a guy, DC, when he went to heavyweight, he fought Stipe. Beat Stipe, double champ, historic performance to a lot of people that puts him on the Mount Rushmore of MMA, blah, 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 blah. 
he aimed as high as he could get. John Jones, who has the power, I imagine, to make a similar call out, aims for Francis Ngannou. I found that surprising. I really did. I thought with the juice you have being John Jones, you might cut the line for Stipe. DC Stipe, Stipe, we're going to set that up. I'm surprised Jones hasn't tried to jump in the middle of that and go, hey, how about the guy that knocked out DC? How about the guy DC hates and can't beat? How about me? Now, I'm not saying it'll happen. I'm saying I'm surprised he hasn't injected himself more into that conversation rather than calling out a guy who can punt your head into the third row, who isn't champ, fought for a title, got owned. It seems like, I, and by the way, I don't think a loss, John Jones losing to France Ngannou is the end of the world. It ends his career or anything like that because um, he is losing to a, a gigantic heavyweight who's, who's, I call him the George Foreman of MMA. The guy can crack a bowling ball with his fists. But why take that risk if you can aim higher and, in my opinion, take less of a risk? Not that Stipe is easier. He's a, he's a harder fight because he can do more. But even if you lose, it's not going to be, you know, he's not going to give you a massive concussion and knock your teeth down the back of your throat, okay? And Ghanu's going to do that if he wins. So I was a little surprised at the trajectory of this fight, if you get what I'm saying. I'm surprised he didn't he didn't hit as high as DC. Now, Producer Kelly, when I brought this up, you were a little like, oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. Like, it didn't occur to you or a lot of people that, that John Jones was maybe shooting a little too low. Well, I think it's just the spectacle of Jones going up to heavyweight in general. It's like, holy crap, it's exciting. So I definitely didn't think of it. When you said it, I was like, you know, that's actually a really good point. But uh, the thing to me is that, yes, it'll be a great spectacle. And yes, it'll make money. And yes, people want to see it and all that stuff. But uh, kind of the risk versus reward factor, if you're going to get out of your weight class where you've been dominant for a decade, why wouldn't you go all the way to title if you could? You know, BJ Penn, when he went up to 170 for the first time, he fought Matt Hughes, first fight, right? That's what you do. You step up, you go all the way. Conor McGregor stepped out of 145. He got a title shot his first fight. Not everybody in every weight class can do that. Not everybody has the juice. Right now, Henry Sudo calling out Volkanovsky. It's weird that the guy who is right now on probably on the Mount Rushmore of MMA shot a little bit lower than that. It's a little weird to me. He must see... And let's let's see this from a a, a a more selfish angle. He might see Nganu as technically an easier out where Stipe can wrestle, Stipe can hit, Stipe has great gas, Stipe is a versatile striker. We saw his ring IQ against DC, able to switch switch uh, tactics and win, right? We haven't seen all that from Nganu. Sure, the guy hits like he stole something from him. But we haven't seen gas. He hasn't done well in long fights. We've seen decent takedown defense against Curtis Blades. But once you get the takedown going, like Stipe did, he doesn't really have a ground game to speak of. Doesn't shrimp his hips. No defense. Uh, He was exhausted by the end of the Stipe fight. We haven't seen great IQ necessarily, right? Not brilliant. Dude hits hard. And he's a big heavyweight. Okay? Wonderful. John Jones may see that as an easier out than Stipe, but the risk is still there, and there really isn't the reward, right? It's just, uh, 
he could knock me out, and then I got knocked out by a guy who came up short fighting for the heavyweight title. And I think deep down, I've said this before, when, when DC, and St- DC, DC and Stipe were fighting, people are talking and still talking about the trilogy fight, staying ahead of DC in legacy, I do believe means something to John Jones. And if you see it that way, DC was a heavyweight champion. If John Jones gets knocked out, which if he does lose, is probably by knockout. I don't see Ngannou winning a decision. Sure as hell don't see him submitting him. Gets knocked out by a guy who came up short in his run for a heavyweight title. And DC wore gold. That cannon, used, that cannon will be used against you in the court of public opinion. It can and it will. That, I, I don't know. I don't know John Jones personally. I can't imagine that at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, on the all-time list, wherever you put John Jones, he wants to be ahead of DC. I really believe that rivalry carries over that hard. And I believe that motivates John Jones, and that's not a bad thing, and it's a great thing, okay? But do you want to come up short against a guy who, who came up short in his quest for the heavyweight title? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a puzzling thing for me. It's a very puzzling thing. But as you heard, it got shot down essentially over money issues. John Jones, and we don't know the amount. We'll talk about the finances a bit later. Uh, John Jones wanted extra money to go up to heavyweight, and they're not handing that out right now. Yes, it's a great fight. Yeah, you'll get paid well. It'll do okay. But so will a title defense against somebody that we don't have to pay you extra money for. Now, what I'm assuming, reading between the lines here, is he has a standard amount in his contract right now, and he wanted more than that to fight Francis Ngannou. And they might like him fighting Ngannou. They're not willing to go above and beyond what he normally makes in order to make that happen. I see their perspective, and it looks like it's on the shelf for right now. We will talk later about the power John Jones and any UFC fighter has when it comes to negotiating? Is it a hard no? Uh, Maybe a temporary no. Anthony Smith on MMA Tonight. Is this now the moment where everyone's looking at Justin Gaethje as maybe the best lightweight on planet Earth? Justin Gaethje is fundamentally better than Tony Ferguson, so I'm not sure if they ran that back, if it would look much different. Maybe that was the Gaethje effect. Like, maybe it's not Tony. Maybe he didn't have an off night, and Justin Gaethje's just good at making people look bad. At this point, there's a strong argument to be made that Justin may be the best 155-pounder on the planet. Tuesday through Thursday, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation. Let's go back a little bit. Okay. Originally, we talked about John Jones last hour. I know it's a lifetime ago. Okay. Once again, uh, the number to call in, one eight seven seven fight 93 1-877-344-4893. Also, get at us on Twitter, MMA on Sirius XM. My Twitter, Jimmy Smith MMA, if there's anything you want me to talk about. Instagram, Sirius XM Fight Nation. Anyway, so earlier in the last hour, we talked about John Jones. And the UFC not wanting John Jones to fight Francis Ngannou, not, 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 not wanting them to, not willing to pay more for this fight to happen, okay? So, here is the issue. 
I'm looking at right now, cbssports.com. The headline is, John Jones hurt, in quotes, by UFC's refusal to pay extra for move to heavyweight stake on Francis Ngannou. Okay, this is a tweet from John Jones, which is where most news comes from these days. This is from at Johnny Bones. Before even discussing numbers, the UFC was unwilling to pay more for the Francis super fight for me to move to heavyweight, said I could possibly earn more in pay-per-view buys. Certainly possible, right? Francis Ngannou said, in my opinion, the UFC aren't willing to make this John fight happen, or at least for what it's worth. And he says, no title fight, no super fight. Who knows when going to be my next fight? Hope it's not in another 11 months or so. What this brings up, okay, and I'm going to go kind of all around the world here. I know you won't remember this, Kelly, because you're too young. There was a famous plane crash, I believe it was in South Dakota in the 90s, okay? You don't remember it. And what it was was the hydraulic system that steered the plane went out. It malfunctioned, which is virtually impossible, but it happened. So the plane couldn't be steered. They went in the back, or they announced that there was a problem, and one of the guys in the plane, it's a true story, was like a flight instructor. And he had experience dealing with this kind of problem. Like, he, he like taught pilots how to deal with these kinds of problems. He was flying there, raised his hand, and said, I can help. I'm a, I'm a pilot. Let me get up there and help. So he went up to the, the, the cockpit, and the analogy was, and they ended up landing the plane. It crashed on landing. I mean, it crash landed. The, the wing hit the tarmac. And it kind of crashed. But most people survived. They saved a ton of lives having this expert happen to be on the plane to help fly the plane. The analogy was, imagine driving your car with just the gas and the brake. When you hit the brake, it goes a little bit to the left. When you hit gas, it goes a little bit to the right. And parking your car in a driveway with the gas and the brake and no steering wheel. That's what they did. Now, this analogy, a fighter in John Jones's position with the UFC right now has two tools, let's say, to get the fight they want. They cannot fight. They can complain on social media. That's it. Two, gas in the brake, right? They can hit the brakes. I'm not fighting. I'm not going to fight. If I don't get Francis Ngannou, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. And they have the gas. They can get on Twitter and yell and scream. Those are not great weapons, but that's what they've got. And they're trying to put their career, they're trying to guide their career and get it to where they want to go with those two tools. Yes, I equated fighting to a plane crash or flying a plane that isn't functioning. But that's essentially how you have to see it with someone like John Jones. The only thing he can tell the UFC to try to get the fight he wants is, I won't fight. Well, they will strip you eventually. Number two, I can go on social media and complain. All right? You, that's, you can fart in a windstorm, too. doesn't mean anybody cares. doesn't mean it's going to change anything. The UFC is not obligated 
to make the fight you got because so many people liked it. It doesn't work that way. Now, do they pay attention to what fans want? Yeah, kind of. But the problem is what, the, what you don't realize is they'll watch just about anything. John Jones fighting anybody will do pretty well. So do fans, fans want Ngannou Jones? Yeah, but I'll take Reyes. I'll take Blahovich. I'll take Santos. The UFC, partly because of this pandemic, is in a better position than they have ever been in. If you don't like it, go to Bellator. Oh, they're not having any fights? Sorry. Go to 1FC. Oh, they're not having any fights? You're out of luck. I'll box. There's no boxing. The zone's falling apart at the seams. They are the only game in town, folks. They have a virtually virtual monopoly on MMA. They've had that for a long time. But they also have a virtual monopoly on sports right now. So the line, I think, internally is often going to be, we're not getting a gate. We're not upping anybody's pay. Right? We're not getting a gate. We're not giving anybody a pay bump right now. Which is true. They're not getting a gate. They are losing that side of their revenue. But what you have to remember is Bellator doesn't have a pay-per-view stream at all. They're behind a paywall with DAZN. And from what I'm reading, what everybody else is reading, DAZN's not doing great right now. Who knows how long that lasts, right? So fighters are in a position of kind of take it or leave it. Take it or leave it, John. We don't watch the fighting gun and we're not going to pay more. All right, I'm going to go to social media and complain. Okay. That'll get you somewhere with your fans, which is kind of an echo chamber, right? I won't fight. Okay, if you don't fight long enough, we'll strip you and put somebody else in there. You don't have any options. You don't hold the stick. You can't fly the plane. You cannot fight. Right? You cannot you can hold out. In which case, we will eventually get rid of you. Or you can bitch a lot and then take the fight we give you. As much power as the UFC had, they are adding to it. They are adding to it. Right? You want to be on TV while no one else is fighting? It's got to be us. It's got to be us. That's it. Now, John Jones has the money to hold out longer than most fighters. Right? He's made enough money and property and all this stuff. He cannot fight for as long as he wants to. But only so long. Because the industry and his position in that industry is controlled by the UFC. Free agency and the ability to manage your career to some degree hinges on competition. Getting the money you want as a football player hinges on 31 other teams will give me X. If you don't give me X, I'll go to one of those 32 teams. That's it. They don't have to threaten. I mean, players do hold out. Rookies hold out all the time. That does happen. But the major trump card is this other team will take me if you won't take me. Right? Boxing, Canelo Alvarez, Triple G, the guys on top, Lomachenko, they have more than one promotion promoter, in their case, that'll take them. Right? Eddie Hearn, PBC, top rank, wherever you want. They'll find somebody that'll pay him. 
Do you want it or not? So all of these arguments about, about where a fighter is going to go and what they're going to do, they have two options, right? Remember what I said. You have the gas, you have the break. The break is I won't fight. The gas is I will get on social media and complain. But that doesn't mean you can guide the car where you want it to go. You'll crash into a lot of trees driving that way because you're not controlling the wheel. So even John Jones, I mean, like, it's so funny to me when I, when I, when I hear these complaints about, you know, oh, he's really upset. He's not giving fight. Oh, okay. I mean, what can he really do about it at the end of the day? Not much. Not much. The price of having everything under one roof and having mostly the best fighters in the world, Bellator has some amazing fighters, okay, having them all under one roof is those individual fighters don't have a lot of power. That is the trade-off. I know fans that were thrilled when Pride folded and the UFC got all those fighters. Why? They wanted to see how the best in Pride would do against the best in the UFC, and we got some great fights out of that. I know fans that were thrilled when Strikeforce folded and the UFC bought them. To see guys like Jacare, right? Luke Rockhold, right? Fabricio Verdum, Alistair Overham come to the UFC. The downside is fighters didn't have anywhere else to go. And they weren't able to pit rival promotions against one another. That has been the issue, issue since then. The issue now is even the promotions that are still around that aren't called UFC, they're not yet having fights. There isn't anywhere to go for the foreseeable future for anybody. And if you want to hold out and not fight, okay, you were already out with the pandemic, right? You're already out a couple months. You want to be out more? It doesn't take fans long to move on. It's the nature of sports. Do fans miss Peyton Manning? Sure, I miss Peyton Manning. I love Peyton Manning. But I'll get behind the next quarterback. The nature of sports is there's always another one coming up. There's always a next one ready to take your spot. So I laugh at these issues, these debates about what fighters are going to do when they don't get the fight they want. They can't do anything. Even John Jones. We're seeing the limits of John Jones' abilities. He was trying to get a fight in a new division against a feared fighter in a fight that I think the fans really enjoyed and he couldn't make it happen. And I'm, I'll guarantee you part of the rationale for the UFC is we don't have a live gate. We're not giving anyone any extra money. That's a refrain we're going to hear until fans are allowed back, which might be early next year. Okay, in, in a capacity that really makes anybody money. Okay, if they fill every fourth seat, all right, fine. It's a lot less money. We, that might be, not be around till early 2021. Okay? So they're going to they're gonna pull that card a lot. Hey, sorry, we're losing gate. Less money for you. We're not eating that. We're not giving anybody any bumps. And if John Jones isn't an exception to the rule, nobody's going to be an exception to the rule.
WWE legend, The Undertaker. I have tried my hardest to protect kayfabe. Honestly, just within the last couple of years, I mean, I would cringe when I would hear people, you know, like we're doing now, like talking openly about behind the scenes stuff. It would just like, I, I'd grit my teeth and just, I think I was the real last holdout to, to kayfabe. Listen to Busted Open's interview with WWE legend, The Undertaker, on demand now via the SiriusXM app. Just search Busted Open Interviews, now free for most subscribers. What's up, Jessica Evil Eye? How you doing, baby? What's up, dear? How are you? Doing well. How's the cardio coming? During my cardio time. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. It's like the worst part to me is like the boredom of being on a treadmill. Is it like that for you? Yeah, you know what's funny is like yes, very much so. Like cardio, I'm probably a lot lighter woman and a lot easier to make weight if I just love running, but I hate it. They're like punching people, right? So if you punch them, then then you don't have to run after them because then they just fall. So yeah, right. right. <laughs> and also, the thing for me is like if you run, if you if you fight harder, it's over quicker, right? But like cardio is yes, like right? you gotta run sick. You know what I'm saying? Uh I'm with you. I'm probably like 100%. I would probably be one of the females like on the roster that has had the like the worst miles. Like, even in school, they'd be like, Jessica, you're such a super athlete. And then they'd be like, how do you run a 10-minute mile? And I was like, because I hate running. <laughs> oh, I, it's, the, it's the absolute worst. Oh, my God. But enough of our hatred for cardio. Um, first news, of course, taking on Cynthia Calvillo. What's it been like getting ready with all this stuff? Is, is your gym completely open? Were you training right now? What's it like getting ready for this? Oh, my God. It's so crazy. Um, so... Well, right when this all started going on, it was, you know, March 15th when the PI finally actually fully shut down. Um, and it was actually Brad Tavares and myself were working out with Bo, and we were the last two athletes to be on the floor at the PI. So at that moment, um, my friend Kyle from uh, Zebra Match literally was like, Jessica, the world's about to close down. Do you want these mats for your home gym? You know, like you've been talking about it. Do you really want to do it? And I'm like, yes, please, just send them. Let's do it. Let's let's get it done. So within that same week of that time, I had gotten probably like five or 600 square feet of mats delivered to my house. So for me, fortunately, like um, with having the mats and then the USCCI for the athletes that lived in Las Vegas, they gave us a lot of the weights from the facility. And, you know, I continued building off my program that, to be honest, like... <laughs> I, it's, it's a very weird time to not be in, in the gym, so to speak, but I've been training. I've created a schedule for myself, my brother, and my jiu-jitsu coach, and, you know, we all live together. So we've been able to come up with a program that I, I when this fight came about, and they were like, hey, and it could have been main event against anybody, you know, I would, I would have taken it because it's like, look, I have been working my butt off for this entire quarantine. I've held myself to a level of standard that most people won't. And I think a lot of people didn't do it for multiple reasons, mental health, just the fact that their systems were thrown out of balance. But, you know, I know myself, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for many years, so I know I have to learn to occupy my own time. So what are your thoughts on getting this call, Cynthia Calvillo as an opponent? Like, you know, there are a lot of people on the roster looking for fights, trying to get their spot. And you got the call. How does that feel? Yeah, you know, it's it's crazy because I've been kind of poking at them. Um, you know, since last month, they actually had given me an offer on two-week notice. And I had said, I was like, look, 
I totally appreciate that. But a two week notice is a little too much. I said I'm more of a three week notice kind of gal. So then two weeks later, or within that time, I text Mick and I was like, hey, I hope you don't get upset that I turned that down. I would love to. I just need a couple more weeks. I'm actually looking to do a fight twin and a submission underground to keep me busy. So if you need me on Fight Island in July, I'm ready. Well, so I schedule a submission underground, which I'm doing the week after this fight, July uh, or June 13th. June 21st, I'm doing a submission underground against um, Amanda Lilu, Lilun. Um, she's a uh-huh. black belt up there. Um, so I had competition scheduled, you know, like, it's just the kind of woman and person that I am. Like, I don't mind creates the devil's workshop, and I know that about myself. So for me, it was like, let's create some kind of little system. It might not be perfect, but opportunities will start coming up and, you know, the submission underground. And then first, uh, and a fight offer that really wasn't good. Um, well, it just wasn't a good matchup where then this came and it's like main event here, you know, like I live two streets away from the apex. You know, so it's oh, like, it's awesome. Well, better than to do it right here. Yeah. You know what I mean? And extremes in a uh, extreme couture in a light open. So Eric Nixick has been making sure I've been getting all my work in and shoot after watching him with Francis and Dan Ega, it's hard not to be inspired and be like, dude, I want to do some epic shit. <laughs> that is quite inspiring. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Cynthia Calvillo as an opponent? Tactically, what are you looking for in this fight? You know, and I think that you can kind of relate to me on this list. She reminds me of Doyla when I fought Doyla. I remember yeah. that there was all this hype and, you know, and, and I've always been kind of the girl that everyone really liked the MMA, but unfortunately I've lost fights that I should have won and didn't perform when I could have performed. So sometimes people always like, what's Jessica's going to show up? And I think I'm kind of in another position where it's like, I get to rise to my own occasion. And I think Cynthia is good. I think she's, She's one of the best, but I don't think that she can contend in this weight class. I'm not a little 25er, and everybody knows that. I contended with the best top five 35ers, took them all to decisions. These little girls, you know, I just don't know, and it's nothing against her, but I just don't. I think sizes is weight classes for a reason. Now, speaking of, I have to ask the last time, trouble with with the weight cut late. What was the issue there? Have you taken care of that? Tell me about that. Yeah, it's actually crazy. You know, like I'm 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 not a perfect person. I I paid for my mistake. I miscalculated on my water with my uh, menstrual cycle as well as it was like at what point was I like, hey, am I going to sacrifice this fight? And that's really what it's about is the fight. Or do I give the money up? So it was like the very bad, unprofessional move on my behalf on so many levels. I've had my period on fight week, had that happen before. So that to have caused that is it just sucks, you know, because now I stayed a little bit. But it also makes people not want to pay attention to what's going to happen this time. And I love, I love a good challenge. <laughs> I love a good challenge. So when people tell me I can't do stuff, it's what got me in the MMA. So I'm like, oh, you think I'm not going to make weight? I will eat egg whites and avocado <laughs> for the next three weeks and literally make weight and kick ass and show people why mistakes happen. And sometimes we need to be a little bit more ashamed to the fellow athlete in person that we're all capable of mistakes. Uh, I mean, you're dedicated enough to be on the treadmill while talking to me. I mean, if that's not <laughs> dedication, 100%, that's how Jessica is. That's just how she rolls. Well, yeah, I couldn't miss out an opportunity of getting to talk to you again. I mean, 
I mean, I felt, who, I can, who can turn so that down? Nobody. I felt so empowered right? when you went to the internet and you stuck up for me the one day and you were like, standing arm triangle. I've seen Jessica. I hit that. Physically following it is and put a girl out in less than 30 <laughs> seconds. So it was like, oh, I got the back anytime you want an interview. You know it. Well, you know, that's how you beat Zoila. And I, re- I remember that move and you just nailed that sucker. What about, tell me about this division, about 125. Valentina Shevchenko, of course, a dominant champ. She's outstanding, really well-rounded. But there's so much room to kind of claw your way back to the top. Is that one of those things where you're really looking forward to having had your shot and faced her already to get back to the top? What does it take in your mind? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of, you know, capitalizing on opportunities like this. You know what I mean? It'll regain that fan that didn't really know me that watched me that night and seen me get knocked out and was instantly turned off by me. So they're going to see me work my way up and they'll relate to me, right? Because the average individual, you know, like, they can relate to that kind of a fighter. So I'm excited to rebuild. You know, when I said I came to 25, we all knew since day one when I've been in the 125 division that I'm champion material and I'm going to be the champ. I'm just, the story ends that way. But my, my story to get there is just different than other people's and I'm okay with that. And again, fights like this, these last-minute epic fights during, you know, history-making time. You know, like the pandemic. They're going to talk about these fights and these athletes for for life, and I get to be a part of that. And being a part of that is just going to allow me to keep building my story to get back to Valentina. I had things that I made mistakes going into that fight, and I'm glad that people they get to see me at my best, so they can continue to expect the worst. So when I perform at my best, they'll be even more shocked. Jessica, thank you so much. It is always a pleasure talking to you. And for people who haven't had the the pleasure of knowing you in real life, you're an amazing person. Best of luck in your next fight. Thanks, Jimmy. I appreciate it. Hope to see you soon. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L. Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.